Hi, I'm Brother Jake. Brother Jake. Brother Jake. Brother Jake. Brother Jake. It is a wild experience. I mean, just speaking about it now, it just is so bizarre. It's so. Brother Jake. Brother Jake. So, like, what happened to me was um, in the sac around your heart, which is called your your pericardium, um, there was a tiny congenital hole. In my case, I was I was working out. I was doing some of this high high intensity interval training kind of stuff, and it was beating really fast because I was working out. And so one of those beats, it popped the right ventricle popped through that little tiny hole, and got caught inside of the hole and it interrupted the entire electrical flow of the heart. So so like a scrotum getting caught in a zipper. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. And I keep thinking about this as I'm listening to, to your experience. There are so many things that I just take for granted <laughs> in my life, right? There were certain there are certain aspects of Impas on Thrones and Brother Jake that like I kind of feel I mean I have more mixed feelings about. So like there's a certain amount of like oops Brother Jake Brother Jake Brother Jake Brother Jake Brother Jake Brother Jake I didn't really have a near death experience. I had a post death experience. Right. This is Infants on Thrones. Philosophies of men mingled with humans. We are the core. After your faith has let you down. Look for the good in everything. Look for the people who will set your soul free. It always seems impossible until it's done. Look for the good in everyone. Welcome back to a very special episode of Infants on Thrones. This is episode 697, The Triumphant Return of Brother Jake. Hi, I'm Brother Jake. Now, there are a lot of people out there to say Now, for those of you who have been listening to this podcast for a while, you may know that two years ago, November 28th, 2018, Jake, at the tender age of 32, suffered cardiac arrest. Essentially, he died. And this story that you're going to hear today is a story about life after death, but maybe not in the way that you might think. I want to read something that Jake's wife, Erica, wrote on December 20th, 2018. This is something that she posted to her Facebook page. On November 28th, 2018, my best friend and partner, for all intents and purposes, died. His heart stopped for no observable reason and was put on maximum life support. I personally don't think that the medical field should be playing the role of God and deciding when an individual should live or die, but they decided to bring Jake back from the dead. The result of this is that Jake has been hospital bound for three weeks as he has clawed back his life. He has come so, so far and continues to fight for everything he can. He will now go to intensive rehab for the next four to six weeks to keep going. I am completely overwhelmed by the love, support, and care that we have received from the rather large army that has formed around us 
from all of the communities that we call our own. I feel your sorrow, tears, and joys you have all shared with us. Whether I have been able to respond to your texts, emails, messages, GoFundMe donations, cards, etc. or not, thank you for all of your messages of love and support. Every one of them is appreciated. The only way I can describe this experience is that it has been a nightmare. Our future is unknown, but the wonderful people who we have surrounded ourselves with are all that matters. Please continue to keep Jake in your thoughts and prayers as he progresses in his recovery. We will need a village to make it through. Hi, I'm Brother Jake. Hi, being a Mormon, I'm people are always asking now, me hi, about I'm Jake. Jake. how many wives are supposed to all these so-called intellectuals talking about who we So it's been two years, and a lot of people have asked, how's Jake doing? Well, today you're going to find out for yourself. So with no further ado, I give you the return, the triumphant return of Brother Jake. Okay, I've got I've got you back on. All right, awesome. Let's do it. So so tell me, Jake. Yeah, it's been almost two years. Yeah, well, it's yeah. been it's been over two years since you've been on Infants on Thrones. Yeah, yeah, it's true. I don't know what the last time I was on Infants on Thrones. It was it was sometime in yeah. uh, it was either October or November. I I remember I was doing I was doing one that I. I think I invited you two to join on yeah, the, but I, the, the terrible day. Yeah. And I always thought, yeah, if only you would have accepted that. Yeah. <laughs> it would have never happened. It would have, it would have, it would have, things would have been so different. But You'd have um, protected my pericardium. You're, yeah. Okay. So tell me what that is. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. Right. Okay. So the, um, what happened to me uh, is, well, it, it was cardiac arrest. So it's different than a heart attack. And I'm s sorry, my dog is barking now. I, I love hearing your dog bark. Let's just, like, your dog wants to be part of this too. Everybody does. I want to fucking choke him out. I can't really <laughs> do. Oh my God. When he barks, I'm just like, oh, shut up. Anyway, what? Uh... <laughs> All right. So <clears throat> what happened was I had a sudden, unexplained at the time, cardiac arrest. So yeah. a cardiac arrest is different than a heart attack, which I did not know before, before all of this. But yeah. a cardiac arrest is essentially like a heart, a heart attack is like turning down the dimmer of your heart until it goes off. Yeah. So like it, it kind of slowly goes down, 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 down. Your heart function just flatlines eventually. Cardiac yeah. arrest is like shutting off a light bulb, like a light switch. So, um, it's kind of all of a sudden thing. So like what happened to me was um, in the sac around your heart, which is called your, your pericardium, um, there was a tiny congenital hole. So, so congenital is, it's not heritable. It's something that developed probably in utero or something, but mm. um, it could be, I mean, it's fairly common, but most people don't have to, deal with it at all because it's something that's like asymptomatic and nothing mm. happens from it. But in my case, I was, I was working out, I was doing some of this high, high intensity interval training kind of stuff. And I had been dehydrated and I was like really working out hard. And it was just one of those kind of one in a million heartbeats where 
my pericardium was kind of reduced in size because I was dehydrated and um, it was beating really fast because I was working out. And so one of those beats, it popped the right ventricle popped through that little tiny hole and got caught inside of the hole and interrupted the entire electrical flow of the heart. So, so like a scrotum getting caught in a zipper. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. Right. Yeah. The whole the whole thing shut your, down. Your heart's your heart yeah, scrotum like, got stuck. And then yeah. <laughs> I was like, we're shut down. Yeah. So um yeah, like at that point it was um now all of this, like I just want to know, like to this everything at this part is this is all hearsay to me. Like I know from it's all secondhand knowledge for me. People um, told you because you yeah, were because I wasn't quite it. there. You know, it, it yeah. was it was something where there's like a big hole in my memory from essentially when it happened, which is like what is it, November twenty eighth. November twenty eighth yeah. and up through like probably January, like mid January of twenty nineteen. So yeah. During that kind of six week period, it was just like there's a big black hole in my memory. Um, yeah. So what happened? Anyway, so Erica and, and how 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 old how old were you? You were like 32. Is yeah, I right? was 31 at the time. I 31. 32 in December of that year. Okay. Um. So yeah, I was 31 at the time, and and like a a, a very healthy 31 year old. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't like running cardiac. marathons, but like I, I was somebody that was in, you know, above median kind of yeah. fitness. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it was like one of those things where I just, I mean, I dropped dead. So mm-hmm. um, I obviously was like collapsed and making strange st- sounds and Erica was like, are you okay, Jake? And then I wasn't answering. And so then she called 911 and they actually kind of walked her through CPR and like mm. she started doing CPR and then the EMS came and defib me like several times, but I didn't revive. And so they took me to, they put me on like a mechanical CPR machine, took me back to uh, Duke and then, hooked me up to an ECMO. So an ECMO is, I don't remember what that acronym stands for. It's, um, but essentially someone who's not Mormon anymore. What? A- an ECMO, someone who's not Mormon yeah, anymore. It's, it's, it's <laughs> Mo no Mo. Mo no Mo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So they essentially what it is, it's a machine that takes your blood out of your veins, oxygenates it, and then pumps it back in the, into oh. your into your veins because your heart your heart your heart was like yeah my heart was like not oxygenate your blood blood yeah, yeah. There, it wasn't pumping hard enough to um, oxygenate my blood um, although my lungs were functioning enough to be able to do it um, the the heart wasn't really up to the task so basically they kind of had me in a way like artificially alive because of the ECMO for a while and then eventually it stabilized and and there were various i mean the thing is there's a bunch of like at that point my family started coming in and erica was like 
dealing with like spinning all these different plates and trying to keep everything yeah. afloat. And so like she was dealing with Jesse and childcare and like my medical care and my family coming in and putting them up in, in different, like not in different like hotels in some cases and like people's condos in other cases, it was just like all crazy kind of stuff. So, and I kind of want to leave that to, I don't really sure. want to speak out of, out of line um, around that just because it's, I mean, at this point, like it's her experience, not really yeah, my experience sure. to like yeah. be there. So, anyway, but, but you, so if I remember, because I remember when I got that news and it just, it just such, such a, a frightening time for everyone who loves you, you know? And I, I remember hearing that you had been without oxygen to your brain for like an hour before you got to the hospital, something like that. Yeah. The, the, actually, the, like the best case scenarios for a recovery for you was very bleak. And so the, the fact that I'm sitting here talking to you two years later and the recovery that you've had and like, how long did it take about six, eight, nine months before you were like up walking again? And yeah, like, like it's just, a, it's miraculous. Yeah. I mean, it, it, certainly is like a very i mean it absolutely is a one in a million kind of um okay so we don't scenario. have to use the word miracle because there's all the package <laughs> yeah, there's it, a lot of baggage around miracle but basically but, what it's like is <clears throat> it's kind of like return of the jai you know where where like where luke gets his hand cut off by dark fader and like finds out <laughs> this devastating news and falls yeah. down and then he drops off the edge of this immense space like in the middle of cloud city but i hate to tell you it was empire strikes back jake that was that was empire strikes back not return of the jedi oh i'm so sorry i'm so sorry i said that i didn't say sorry so empire strikes back he gets his hand cut off there is no escape don't make me destroy you he falls in the middle of like this giant cavern, like in the middle yeah. of uh, Cloud City, but yeah. he falls through a little hole and then ends up like in the Millennium Falcon. Right. And I kind of feel like I'm I'm that like in that scenario <laughs> where it was like something really bad happened to me, but after that bad thing happened to me, a lot of really good things happened to me. Yeah. So that I could survive, and yeah, you know, live on. So. And assert your strength of will to to do all that because it was not an easy process. Yeah, it's. I mean, it 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 certainly wasn't. Um, yeah, it certainly wasn't. It was a very difficult kind of arduous. I mean, it was it was like a very arduous, like long, drawn out, protracted scenario. And and to say I'm like on the other side, so to a certain extent, I am. Right. So like I am obviously like I'm sitting here and I've seen the videos of myself like back in those early days. And mm. compared to that right now, this is like really great. Um, yeah. But it's not really to say like, oh, it's over now. It's something where it's like on a spectrum where I'm, you know, slowly coming back still even even now. So um yeah, I would say like there was there were a few stages of recovery 
like the first stage was like the med- the the acute medical fallout which is like in duke and i wasn't conscious for that and then mm-hmm. there was like when it got past those initial kind of roadblocks to like recovery and i was i was trucking along um then i moved on to like the inpatient rehab stuff so that was like when i was in shepherd center in atlanta and you know there was i mean there we can i can talk about that for a long time but um then then there was outpatient rehab here in durham and going to outpatient rehab in raleigh and then there's like kind of a fourth phase you know in stage i should say um in uh doing in like getting back to work like working part-time and and getting back to like full normal like going back to full more normal kind of life living yeah so i'm i'm on the long kind of tail of that you know recovery process that fourth stage of recovery um so yeah that's kind of where I'm, i mean that's that's where i'm at now but uh my my uh experience really kind of like my my cognitively i turned on turned back on or like rebooted in atlanta mm. and and when and when you rebooted there were like some things like i i remember reading a report that all of the st- statistical things like high level statistical techniques you remembered but like first grade addition yeah math was just like so, so like there was this really weird juxtaposition of the stuff that you knew and could do, and then other things that like having a hard time remembering what a cucumber, the word for cucumber, or yeah, something like right. that. So, you know, like yeah, 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 and like that was tough. Like, it, well, I mean, so there were a lot of like very basic kind of elementary school stuff, not even elementary school, like preschool kind of things. Yeah, um, and like identifying colors that took me freaking forever to like learn how to identify colors really what do you like like what their names were or just yeah where the what the names were really is where the the issue was because i could tell that colors were different like if you pointed at two colors you know or or three or four whatever i could i could tell that colors were different from each other but the names of the colors like somebody used the word teal to me when I was in, when I was uh, I, I was playing like a uh, you know beanbag toss game, cornhole game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not beanbag toss, cornhole. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess you'd call it beanbag, beanbag toss, but I don't know. I'll allow it. All right. All right. <laughs> I remember playing that cornhole game with you and Heather in your backyard. Yeah. All right. So. Yeah, we were playing like a, a cornhole game and um, somebody was like, hey, could you hand me the teal bag? And I was like, what the fuck is teal? <laughs> like, what is that? What like, what are you saying? I've never even heard that. That doesn't sound like that's not a color. You know, that's <laughs> not a color. That's There's no way that that's a color. But um, eventually I was like, teal is a mixture of blue and green. Teal is a mixture of blue and green. Like I had to like memorize that kind of stuff. Like, and yellow and orange were like super hard. I, it was super hard for me to, to get the name right. 
I could tell mm. they're different from each other, but I couldn't tell which one was yellow and which one was orange. So like, and and that just ha- that that is a a result of the the parts of your brain, the sections of your brain that were damaged. Is that what that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it must be. Um, but uh, that was, I mean, that. Okay, so that's like these are you know somewhat humorous anecdotes about this stuff about you know I didn't remember how to you know, I forgot about colors and I forgot the names of stuff and it was fun. I mean, it was whatever. It's funny. We laugh about it. Um, there was also like, I had a couple pretty devastating, like interactions or encounters with neuropsychologists. So like my, if there are any neuropsychologists, you know, they're listening to this. Um, I didn't, I mean, the thing is I had the shepherd, the in-house neuropsychologist at Shepherd Center was just like, I, I don't know if I, I don't want to hold too much against her, but like at the time I, I just hated her and she just made me feel so stupid and like so despondent about stuff. And like, I'd have these I'd have these like battery of tests and she'd be like, you did really what really poorly here and there and there and that it like, you did really bad as visual spatial reasoning. You did really bad at math. You did really bad, really bad processing speed. And like, you're super behind and, you know, being able to, well, it's as to processing speed, but there were these different tests that I took and I just failed all of them. Mm. And like, I failed all of them like way below, you know, like, way below my age slash education level. So, Mm -hmm. and she's like, well, I would say like, she didn't sugarcoat it at all. So she didn't like her, her, her bedside manner was like non-existent in the sense of like, I just, I came out of that um, interaction. I was just like so depressed and like so Mm -hmm. sad about everything that had happened, you know, to me in the state of things, that kind of thing. Um, And then so I was, you know, it was just me and her for that one. And then we had a, co- a follow-up conversation with Erica on the conference call. Um, and the, and, and Dr. O'Neill asked me um, if I remembered the last conversation that we had. And I was like, yeah, I remember that. You like just told me that I couldn't do anything. And like, you told me I was so, I I was terrible at all these things. She's like, well, I don't really remember that way. And then then she's like, well, I don't remember it that way. What I said was, and then she ended up going through the entire thing again with Erica on the phone and just hearing it again was just like, so it, it was something where in the back of my head for a long time after that whole conversation, that whole interaction, in the back of my head, like I could never get the voice of her just like beating me down out of there. Wow. And like, she just always was behind me just saying that I was, I mean, in, in my mind. And the thing is, sure. It, in her defense, like she was probably being super reasonable and like it was, or she was just trying to, you know, be upfront about like what was going on or there, there are plenty of good rationale. There's plenty of good rationale for like treating, for, for treating a patient that way. But 
in my experience subjectively was so disheartening and like so disappointing mm. and just gut-wrenching of like having the rug of everything that I could do that I thought, you know, I, I had this image of myself as like a capable person that could do things and, yeah. and could make the most out of situations. And like, I was so inspired. I, I, I was like, so motivated to like, you know, come back from this, you know, come back from this uh, experience and, you know, build back better or to, to yeah. you know, defy the odds, defy the odds. Yeah. Like, and I, yeah. my whole experience, my, my mentality around this whole experience was like, fuck you. You can't tell me what to do. Or like, <laughs> you can't stop me. Fuck you. See if you can stop me. I'm going to, I'm going to power through this thing. And then basically yeah. like, she just took that entire facade that I built around myself and like, just it in pulled the out like just pulled out the guts of it, you know, and yeah. it was, uh, it was very disappointing. So anyway. Um, and do, do you still, I mean, is she still kind of in there like wagging her finger at you a little bit? Like she's become that negative critical voice that, that, that hounds you from time to time. Yeah. Like there's, there's a certain amount of like things where like, you know, instances where like i'm slurring my speech or something like that mm -hmm. and uh she is just kind of back in there you know doing i still kind of hear her say yeah. that yeah. and reiterate those points and it just it's 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 very sad yeah so what would you what would you do in those times where you were you know, you would go from an extreme of feeling like, fuck you, I'm going to overcome this. I'll show it. I'm going to defy the odds to where like, oh my gosh, this is just like the worst. It, it sucks. Did, did you have those kinds of see seesaw experiences a lot? Um, not too much, to be honest. And, and um, I think that was, that was, that was certainly a good thing. I mean, it's certainly a good thing. Um, there's uh, <clears throat> so, it reminds me of an experience that my brother actually told me about. Um, and it was something that he went through. So, I mean, not, not that he went through, you know, a Knox brain injury and things, but he went through, uh, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna teach, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go to like an object lesson. Um, All right. but there was this, um, my brother and his wife had this this minivan and it broke down it it broke down and and my brother realized like oh it's the radiator there's some sort of like you know mechanical thing he's like oh, i can figure out how to do this and so he you know took the the car into his garage to start taking it apart and then realized while he was doing it um they need to get like some other you know some other tool and so he goes to like he goes to home depot and rents a, a you know a, a like one version of the tool and it doesn't end up working and he goes to like lowe's and gets another version of the tool and the thing is he can't figure out he can't figure out how to like undo this one really tough bolt in the car like he needs mm -hmm. to like unscrew that bolt to be able to replace the part that he's trying to fix um but 
he eventually realizes like i can't do this without like i can't do this with like tools i rent at home depot like i i i need like a professional garage to you know get to like get this thing fixed but the thing is and he's like oh crap and he wanted to like give up he's like oh, i just want to give up and and get rid of this thing but the thing is he was still it was still in the garage you know it was still in the garage taken apart like he couldn't drive it to the he couldn't drive it to a mechanic or something um he had no real alternative other than to like figure out how to do it so that like that experience that that story that anecdote to me was very I don't know. I connected with that anecdote a lot because it was like, well, I mean, I could be depressed and I can like just give up. But the thing is like, if I give up, I'm still in the garage. Like I still, like I, 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 if I give up, I am just stuck within this like shell of, of like limiting factors that is around me. Like the only way to get out is to just keep pounding away at it until I can, get away you know find that find that tool to loosen that bolt yeah you gotta loosen that bolt um so (laughs) that was so like i i never felt like very i never felt totally despondent about it because i always felt like there was always something else i could strive for that i can do be like the first thing like first i'm gonna first i'm gonna get to the point where like Okay, so a lot of it was like stage. The stages were determined by the limitations that were put on me as a inpatient rehab, as a inpatient rehab um, resident. So um, when I first came in, when you first come into inpatient rehab, you're initially like you're buckled into the bed at night like with a buckle that you can't undo. Someone has to come in and get you out to be able to get out of bed and like get in the wheelchair and roll around. So, cause, cause they were afraid if you fell and yeah. hit your head games over. Right. Yeah. So yeah. there'd be something like that. So eventually I'd be like, well, I mean, I could work toward like getting to the point where I'm steady enough so that they feel comfortable not bolting me in the bed at night. So, then I just pounded away at that and like, you know, did that worked on my like exercises and, and, you know, my balance. Um, well, I guess balance exercises. Um, anyway, I work on the strength and balance and that kind of thing until they eventually were like, Oh, I, we can trust you to the point that we can now, now we don't have to bolt you in the bed at night. So be like, Oh, great. When, um, the next, you know, then they, then the next stage likes to get to the point when they don't have to bolt you into the wheelchair. So mm-hmm. that's another stage. Um, and then, <clears throat> and then there's, I mean, beyond that, then there's like the next stage, which is being able to go to the bathroom on your own, which is like a huge kind of leap forward. And, you know, you work toward that. And then anyway, there were these kind of um, bite-sized pieces that I could break off and 
work toward and uh, baby step get out of the bed baby step get out of the wheelchair right baby step go to the bathroom baby step go to the bathroom baby baby step step. walk around the walk around the the floor baby step eat sushi with chopsticks we eat sushi with chopsticks that was a big (laughs) that was a big accomplishment yeah um yeah so there were there was a structure kind of built into the the whole experience of inpatient rehab that kind of facilitated, you know, working toward these different goals. Or I I saw them like very naturally converging where it was just like naturally I'm gonna try to get the next stage. So um that that was good. I mean sorry. I feel like that's a very underwhelming answer to that, but <laughs> will you tell Dr. O'Neill in the back of your head to shut the fuck up? No, I know. Fuck um, <laughs> <laughs> you, Dr. O'Neill. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. When I got back from, but in a lot of ways, I kind of miss, um, I miss certain aspects of inpatient rehab. Mm. At least I I miss being at that stage of the recovery process where the goals were very clear Mm -hmm. and ultimately like very achievable. Yeah. I mean, for me, they were, where it was like, you know, go to the bathroom on your own. I can do that. I can, I can figure out how to, on my own i can figure out how to get in and out of the wheelchair on my own i can figure out how to walk on my own um but then there were like higher level um exercises or or um activities that i'm still kind of struggling with so like something would be something an example of that would be like running like Mm. there's something where i can only really keep up a ru- I can only run for like not even a block. It's like half a block mm. because like my leg, you know, my toes start scraping on the ground and I end up. So like it's, a, it's a coordination, like muscle memory thing. Yeah. It's a coordination, but it's also like, I think it's kind of, I think it's, it's, com- it's a, it's a um, combination of coordination and strength. Mm. So like you need to have the strength to, to lift up, you know, as you're running, there's a lot of coordination with, you know, obviously with, with, you know, going heel toe and like pushing up on, pushing up on the calf and, and for each stride, but then also there's an aspect of like the strength to be able to lift up your legs, you know, high enough as you run. And mm-hmm. like generally, <clears throat> I don't think that a lot of people have like I think that when people get fatigued when they're running, especially like 30, you know, 30, 35 year olds, when they get fatigued while they're running, it generally tends to be like their lungs and their heart that tire out, not necessarily their legs. So it's kind of a different animal for, for me. So is that, is that the sort of thing that could, could be like those small achievable goals where you're like, all right, I'm going to know where I can run a block and a half or two blocks or something like that. Yeah. Or, or is it, is that even something incremental like that is harder to achieve at this point? It's, 
It is, but only because like it is more difficult to achieve. But I think that a big part of it is just a is the lack of structure um, around that. Like when you're in inpatient rehab and you're trying to do something like run, yeah, people are like everyone's like trying to you know, cheer you on, and th- everyone understands like everyone's trying to do this thing and he's struggling with that thing, but like, it's acceptable to struggle with that thing, Mm. like in this context. And like, it's not like I, I think that people wouldn't accept that now, but being just among, you know, my age demographic peers, Mm -hmm. it kind of, I mean, it's, it's kind of weird to have somebody like a guy, to like see a guy that can only run like <laughs> 15 strides and then like mm-hmm. has to slow down and walk and 15 strides and then slow down and walk. And the, just like that experience. And then like ultimately only ends up running only ends up, you know, running like two blocks yeah. is like, that's kind of, I mean, it's kind of weird. Um, and I'm sure that people would, people would be accepting, but I feel like there's, I mean, it is totally internal and it's not, it's, 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 it it is me. That's not like focusing enough to strive to, okay, now I'm going to, you know, I'm going to run half a block and then a block and then two blocks and, and get back up to actually being able to do it. Also, the fact is like, I don't really care about running. I don't, I mean, it's not like, (laughs) I just, I mean, it's a means to an end. I'm not a huge fan of running. It is a nice, convenient form of exercise. You get to, and it's very cheap. <laughs> but that's, but, but what I'm hearing you say, Jake is, and, and I keep thinking about this as I'm listening to, to your experience. There are so many things that I just take for granted <laughs> in my life. Right. And that that you had to like completely reboot and start over again. And these things that normal normally we would take for granted that are more of a struggle for you at this point, that that can be really discouraging as you're comparing yourself to other other people in your age group that haven't gone through what you've been through and where they are. And and um, that just seems that seems rough. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, there's that that is a huge part of it. I mean, and just. interact figuring out how to interact with people of my age demographic and like age and educational peers it may you know just my in in life right now it's just like difficult because mm-hmm. for whatever reason i ended up with like friends that like f- neighborhood friends that all of whom all of whom are like involved in like some sort of casual extreme fitness, <laughs> casual extreme fitness. <laughs> and like, they're like, well, I mean, I ran, I ran the half Ironman and uh, last one. Well, no, I think it was two months ago. I did the half Ironman, but you know, my personal trainer, you know, I was really trying to do those, those hundred burpees, but you know, she, I was, I was, I was struggling a little bit with it. Well, I, I mean, I can I can run like a I can run like twenty five feet. 
I mean, <laughs> like, what am I well, going to talk about? You know, like this whole thing where like people are, I, I we are not, we're so not on the same level. You know, what's what I, I hope this isn't insensitive. I can tend to get a little insensitive without meaning to be insensitive. But I remember, Jake, one of one of the episodes that you were really interested in recording uh, before this happened was um, the the concept of masculinity, and not oh, just right, like yeah. masculinity in Mormon culture, but masculinity outside of Mormon culture. Like, what does it really mean to be a man? And so, as I'm listening to you say this, I'm thinking about like these like casually extreme fitness neighbors <laughs> that you're around. They're like, "This is what it means to be a man, Jake. How many strides can you run?" Is is that still kind of like a I'm trying to find myself? Where do I fit in? Where do I like how how do I value myself when these guys around me are running Ironman marathons. Yeah. I mean, to a certain extent, yes. Um, I also will say like in their defense, they have been, first of all, like extremely kind and giving and so supportive. And like a lot of them, I think a lot of them gave me, they'd give me like rides to outpatient rehab before I could drive. And like just these very giving people and like they are, they're super they're they're very great and also like they're not broy masculine guys like they're not like you know they're not this kind of you know they gorilla didn't know ape that. kind of thing where they're like oh yeah like we're a man yeah like tim tim allen on uh whatever that show was yeah in the tool time or something yeah oh yeah <laughs> home improvement home improvement yeah, yeah that's it <laughs> tool time was the show within the show <laughs> right tool time was show yeah the show. yeah um so yeah um they're not like that i think they're they're really great friends of mine and i yeah. appreciate all of them um immensely yeah but i've never really expressed this to them because i mean i don't want to make them Basically, I don't want to like taint the thing, like one of the things that they have in common with each other by saying like, don't talk about the thing. Don't talk yeah. about fitness because right. Jake is feel sad about you talking about fitness. Right. Because he can't do any of these things. So I don't want to like ruin rain on the parade of, yeah. you know, this, this chat about like fitness. It's just, and I don't like resent it necessarily, but I just don't have any interest in it and like i don't have and i have like no interest in it and i have like no real hope of like actually doing that and like no desire to figure out how to do that Mm. so you know for for the for the last two years i just i just recently changed my facebook banner but ever since your cardiac arrest from the last two years like i i had that picture of you standing up on top of the mountain with your back turned to the camera like this victory pose did you know that that was like oh. my little tribute to you. It was like, oh, I'm going to conquer, nice. overcome. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. We took that. Uh, I think we took that in Machu Picchu, like in, in yeah. Peru. Yeah, which you hiked up. You guys did like, what, a five-day hike? I remember when you came back from that, you had the insect bites just everywhere. Yeah, right, right. It was crazy. I mean, that was a great hike, and, and it was a lot of fun. But, yeah. Yeah. So those those days are behind you. You're not. I mean, uh, I'm, you're not aspiring to go back and hike up Machu Picchu. Maybe just take the train this time. I would. I mean, 
hiking i'm more into i'm more into mm-hmm. that idea um the more extreme fitnessy things not so much yeah so 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 let let's get into some of these these other questions about like how how this experience has changed your view on things like life god religion spirituality family things that you did before with brother jake or infants on thrones like when you look when you look back at that person that you were before and the way that you approached life where, where do you see the biggest differences where do you th- see things being similar yeah Same like that, so there were certain there are certain aspects of Infants on Thrones and Brother Jake that like I kind of feel I mean I have more mixed feelings about so like yeah there's a certain amount of like oops there's a certain amount of, of I don't know like hubris that I had in Brother Jake in in well not necessarily in Brother Jake the thing is with Brother Jake I'm 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 pretty damn proud of the whole thing I mean the whole yeah. thing is like they're really great they're super informative they're I mean, they're, content they're awesome. wise, yeah. I would say ten Tight. out of ten. Yeah, they're yeah. they're great. Hi, I'm Brother Jake. Now there are a lot of people out there who think that Mormonism is some sort of super scary cult, but they couldn't be more wrong. Let me explain. But first of all, let's talk about the word cult. According to the dictionary definition, a cult is a system of religious veneration and devotion directed toward a particular figure or object. So according to that definition, every freaking religion is a cult. So you know, no big deal. Problem solved. Uh, okay, fine. I may be ignoring the secondary, more popular definition of the word cult that people might be using when they say Mormonism is a cult, which would be something like a relatively small group of people having a religious beliefs or practices regarded by others as strange or sinister. But Mormonism isn't like, you know, a cult cult either because we don't even exhibit any of the signs of being a cult, like having a whitewashed version of the religion's origin story and history, or being founded by a charismatic leader who's since been almost deified, or participating in secretive rituals, or having an organized high-pressure recruitment force or actively discouraging people from questioning the dogmas of the organization and marginalizing people who have doubts. You know what? Why don't we take these one at a time? Sign one, a whitewashed version of the religion's history. Mormonism doesn't do this at all. We've always been totally transparent about our history. I mean, sure, the way we portray some things might seem a little, you know, different than what sort of appeared to have happened according to the historical record. Like, for example, the fact that all the depictions of the translation of the Book of Mormon published in church materials depict something like this or this or this, when according to eyewitnesses it was more like this or, well, you know, just that. Or the fact that we often hear things like this in reference to Joseph Smith's incarceration proceeding as martyrdom. He had been issued an arrest warrant on trumped-up charges. When, in fact, he had been arrested for ordering the destruction of a printing press that had printed unfavorable things about him. But there's nothing sinister about, you know, selectively de-emphasizing stuff in the past. We're just putting our best foot forward. Now, there might be some people that say, but deliberately adjusting historical details to make it easier for people to believe your claims is pretty much the exact definition of whitewashing, but I mean, pretty much every religion has weird stuff in their past, so it's not like we're the only ones doing it. I mean, what do you expect us to do? It's not like when you go on a date, you immediately mention the fact that you still live with your mom, because maybe right after you order, she'll go to the bathroom and then never come back, so then you have to call your mom for a ride home and then start a three-day Star Trek marathon. 
I mean, don't get me wrong. Obviously, whitewashing is super bad and you shouldn't do it, but it's not really like a bad thing to uh, strategically present certain information in a certain way if doing so ends up helping people out, right? So since we're trying to help people have faith in God's true church, they can be with their families after they die, and learning certain details about the way things seem to have happened might make it harder to believe, then omitting those details from the narrative really isn't whitewashing, it's just helping people have faith so they can get into super awesome VIP heaven later on. And how can that be a bad thing? Sign 2. A Charismatic Deified Leader Okay, fine, I'm not going to deny that Joseph Smith had some public speaking and interpersonal skills, but is there anything really wrong with that? I mean, doesn't it kind of make sense that God would choose somebody with leadership to lead his church? Besides, it's not like Joseph Smith ever abused his influence. I mean, yeah, there was this one time when he sent a man away on a proselytizing mission and then married his wife while he was away. And sure, there was this other time when he kind of encouraged a practically 15-year-old girl to marry him by telling her an angel was going to kill him if she didn't. But, you know, that was way back in the 1800s. It, it, it was a different time back then. There was no way to know what people were thinking. Besides, we don't even know if these marriages included, you know, sex. Plus, both those people wrote in their diary way after the fact that they were cool with it. So, you know, and, and, you know, give Joseph Smith a break. I bet he didn't even want to do it. He was just trying to follow God's commandments. I mean, can you imagine an angel with a sword? You know, I, I think we're getting off topic. My point is, sure, Joseph Smith may have been a charismatic guy, but we definitely don't think he's like a god or anything. I mean... Yeah, we do have kind of a lot of Sunday school lessons about how awesome he was, and held a big celebratory event on his 200th birthday that was broadcast all over the world, and have a chapter in our scriptures that talk about how he was only a tiny bit less awesome than Jesus, and have a hymn specifically singing his praises. And sure, I guess you could say that incorporating things centered around mortal individuals into hallmarks of worship that are otherwise reserved only for the divine, like hymns and scriptures, might implicitly elevate that individual to some sort of demigod status, and is pretty close to the definition of deification, but what we're doing is totally different. We're not worshiping him. Worship is when you go through religious rites to show reverence and adoration for something. We're just demonstrating honor and respect by singing hymns and scriptures specifically about him. That's all. Sign 3. Participation in Secretive Rituals Okay, fine. I guess we do technically have a set of ordinances that are performed in our super special temples. And yeah, it's true that you're not allowed inside unless you have a temple recommend. And sure, we're kind of explicitly forbidden from talking about what exactly goes on in there in pretty much any detail whatsoever. But even though what I just described is basically the exact definition of a secret, that doesn't mean that it's a secret. It's just sacred. You see, what goes on inside a temple is so special that if we let other people see it, they might make fun of it, which would be a huge bummer for us. Plus, since the temple stuff is so super sacred, God would be that much more PO'd at you if you did end up making fun of it and would probably bust out some really hardcore punishments that would, like, ruin your life or whatever. So us not telling you what goes on in the temples is really for your benefit, if you think about it. We're just trying to protect you from getting, you know, zapped. But that doesn't mean you can never learn about what goes on in the temple. Anyone can go in. They just have to earn a temple recommend by doing all the things that God wants, like going to church every Sunday and believing that Joseph Smith is a prophet and that this is the one true church of God and getting baptized and getting the Holy Ghost and not drinking coffee or tea or booze and not having, you know, except with your spouse and paying all the tithing you're supposed to. So you see, it's not like we're secretive, more like sacredive. Sign four, an organized high pressure recruitment force. 
Mormons don't do this at all. I mean, sure, I guess you could say that the church's force of 80,000 full-time missionaries kind of fits that description, especially since as part of their two-year service, missionaries are sent to a training facility where they're instructed on how to preach about Mormonism using techniques that closely mirror high-pressure sales strategies. And yeah, I guess you could also say that having the church's PR department produce a documentary for theatrical release about how cool and interesting and diverse our membership is, and then have an apostle explicitly encourage members to attend and share the movie with friends and family to ensure its box office success kind of falls under the definition of high-pressure recruitment too, but it's like this. Imagine you, I don't know, found a big tree in the middle of a huge field with like the most delicious fruit you could ever imagine, just like mind-blowingly good fruit. Wouldn't you want to take that super awesome fruit and share it with all your friends and family? That's what we're doing. So when we do stuff like make a self-promotional documentary with a deliberately positive spin or train missionaries to follow sales-inspired commitment patterns to get people to agree to baptism, you got to understand that it's not like we're trying to trick people or anything. We just know that being Mormon is way more awesome than not being Mormon, and we just want to share that with as many people as possible. We just want to share the fruit, man. Sign 5. Actively discouraging doubt and marginalizing people who leave the faith. Now this one just isn't true at all. Mormonism started because Joseph Smith was willing to doubt the status quo and wanted to find real answers. That's what the first vision was all about. Well, one of the accounts of the first vision anyway. But there's a difference between asking questions and questioning. Asking questions is great. It's how we progress. So when we ask questions like, how can I have greater faith in Jesus? Or how can I know the church is even more true? It opens us up to learn and grow. But when you start questioning, then you might start thinking about things outside the premise that the church and gospel are true and super awesome, and that can cause doubt which can eventually do apostasy which means you don't get into super awesome VIP heaven so it's better not to go down that way it's like this President Thomas S. Monson has counseled us that faith and doubt cannot exist in the same mind at the same time for one will dispel the other Right. Doubt and faith are mutually exclusive. I mean, sure, saying that might seem a little counterintuitive since faith is the evidence of things hoped for but not seen, so it seems like some uncertainty must exist since otherwise it wouldn't be faith as much as knowledge. But, you know, I think the larger point is this. Doubt your doubts before you doubt your faith. Exactly. We should doubt our doubts before doubting anything else. That way faith will replace the doubt until we don't have any doubts at all. Except for the doubts we had about our doubts, but those doubts are okay since doubt is bad and faith is good. Except except for if you have faith in your doubts, that's bad. Well, well, it's it's not bad if your faith is in the doubts of your doubts. It's just bad if you have faith in the doubts that you had about your faith. Does that make sense? Anyway, the point is that even if we do encourage faith and discourage doubts, that doesn't mean that we treat people who leave the faith poorly or think less of them. I mean, granted, it is a little hard to argue that we don't stigmatize those people when we have church leaders getting up in our super cool semi-annual conference meetings and saying things like this. Studying the church through the eyes of its defectors, Elder Neil A. Maxwell once said, is like interviewing Judas to understand Jesus. Or this. One loses his testimony only by listening to the promptings of the evil one. And Satan's goal is not complete when a person leaves the church, but when he comes out in open rebellion against it. Since by implying that people who leave the church are similar to one of the Bible's most notorious bad guys or an unwitting tool of the devil, we're kind of reinforcing an image that might create a rift of distrust and ostracism between the people who leave and their still believing friends and family, but we only say that because we love them. We love them so much that it makes us really sad that they're going to miss out on all the cool stuff that we'll be getting in Super Awesome VAP Heaven. We just feel really sorry for them in a totally not self-righteous or condescending kind of way at all. That's it. In the end, sure, I guess there are some typical hallmarks of a cult that Mormonism can kind of seem to display, but the real test of whether Mormonism is a cult is this. 
by their fruits ye shall know them. Which means that what something produces is a reflection of what it is. So if cults are bad and Mormonism is a cult, then Mormons would be bad people. But since Mormons are super cool and diverse and awesome and people that are great neighbors that love their families, which you can see in the documentary we just made about ourselves, then Mormonism can't be bad, which means that it can't be a cult because cults are bad. And yes, that line of logic might seem a bit myopic and more than a bit simplistic, but it's something Jesus said. So, you know, what are you going to do? So you see, not a cult. There is a certain amount of hubris around like my approach to some of those things that is a little bit, I kind of feel a little sheepish about. Like, I'm, I don't know. I, when you say hubris, you mean like, like being dismissive to believers and that yeah. makes you feel uncomfortable? Yeah, yeah, like dismissive to believers and the way that I would put like, I mean, they're snark like baked. I mean, obviously, like <laughs> the entire frame of Brother Jake is like, you know, cocooned in this like lens of snarkiness. But yeah. there's a certain amount of like undue hostility that I'd put into it that wasn't as... It, it it wasn't it certainly wasn't like charitable toward their point of view mm. and I, I i do have some regrets around that like and that i mean <clears throat> that is cor- kind of correlated with infants on thrones a little bit to sure. the point where i feel like i would kind of take off the kid gloves and and, and infants on thrones and like have no holds barred like shitting on that i wrote about somebody that complained about something we did oh yeah there was it's just like stuff like that where it'd be like oh i kind of cringe about that yeah i'd be like i feel i feel bad about being such a a like being so openly hostile toward you know people it just do you want me to insert that clip here, or do you want me to just delete it from the from the catalog completely? No, the thing is, like, I, the thing is, it's actually pretty catchy. It's just like <laughs> ultimately, I feel bad about doing it, but yeah, like, all right. it's it's pretty catchy. It's yeah. just, uh, but it was also funny because that guy, like, I think he went after Erica, or he went after somebody, and so you you're like, you know what? I'm going to stand up for this person that I care about. You can go fuck yourself. You can take that like snarky opinion. You know, so you're like playfully throwing it back in his face. I'm going to defend you, Jake, right. on that one. Cause, cause uh, I do remember that one. Well, like, okay, here's the deal. The dealio. Sometimes we get feedback from time to time that, you know, well, it just like requires a specific response. Like this email that we got from, We'll call him Mr. Reed. So uh, let's just share the email with you. Um, here it is, read to you by none other than Sister Brother Jake herself, Erica Jake. Take it away, Erica. Hello, folks. I recently discovered your podcast while searching Mormon on Stitcher. I've also been listening to Mormon Expositor and Mormon Matters. I have enjoyed the past six episodes of Infants on Thrones, and just today listened to the essay by Jill Searle and the subsequent discussion. As a disaffected Mormon of the past eight years and a previously active member with over 40 years of leadership experience, I have been able to relate with much of the subject matter, attitudes, and individual histories of your panel members. I was surprised to hear of one of your panelists, I cannot recall which one, today state that he is an attorney. 
the reason for my surprise is also the reason I am writing you today, and my observations and comments are expressed in the hope that they will be regarded with the respect that I and other listeners should have for each of you and your intent, and in the anticipation that some small improvements will help make your podcast even more interesting and helpful to your audience. The constant use of the words, like, I mean, and, uh by the panelists in virtually every sentence is not contributory to the fluent and articulate conveyance of thought, and after just a few minutes actually becomes annoying to the listener. On the other hand, and as a good comparison, Miss Searle's comments avoided those colloquialisms as she was exceptionally articulate. I was particularly disturbed by Erica's sound quality and comments. She must have been seated back from her mic or in an environment that was acoustically poor because she had tunnel voice with the background echo but most bothersome from a listener's perspective was that she had considerable difficulty completing a fluid sentence and was the panelist with the most frequent misuse of the colloquialisms mentioned above. Perhaps your review of the interview with Miss Searle and a few of those prior will bear out what I am explaining. Maybe none of this is of any concern to you, and if that's the case, I have at least expressed my thoughts. On the other hand, if the quality and professionalism of your podcast is of concern, together with the impact it may have on your listeners, then I would invite you to give credence to my comments. Thank you for your time today, and for your efforts to provide helpful information to those transitioning through what may be difficult times in their life. Sincerely, Mr. Reed. Salutations. Mr. Reed, it is my pleasure, yes indeed, to address your apt concerns and, perhaps, our case to plead. Since it's hard for you to hear the vulgar speech of Lower Tier, I hope this Robert Frost impression will protect your tender ear. Which brings us to your larger point, when we with filler words our speech anoint, it grates upon the listeners' minds and makes our very thoughts disjoint. We are sorry that our conversation is no wellspring of articulation, that in fleshing out our thoughts we use like and um on occasion. But give us a break, this shit ain't scripted, and some, like me, aren't super gifted at producing perfect oral points when through our thoughts on air we've sifted. I get it, man, I really do, it's bad to let those words accrue, but in reading through your message past, we infants learn something about you. It's sad for us to see, alas, that perhaps due to your long Mormon past, although you've left the church behind, you're still a condescending ass. So, in closing, we should let you know we probably will not change our flow, so if you cannot handle ums and likes, then this may not be your medium, bro. Might I suggest birdwatching? Cheerio, Jake. I honestly don't remember any of the context around yeah. something like that. Might be, yeah. yeah. You you were coming to you were coming to the defense. I think it was Erica, or it was either Erica or it was Heather. It was somebody that you were coming to the defense of, and mm. and uh, yeah. So I think it was warranted. But I, I I remember when we did our I think it was one of the our first Smackdowns of the Book of Abraham article, uh, like the the LDS org essays on the Book of Abraham. Mm. and just you were unhinged on that one that was the first one where like i remember afterwards you're like i'm not really happy with how i was on that one (laughs) (laughs) yeah i was like yeah some second thoughts around that like it's and and yeah so like those those um 
that aspect of of the brother jake persona and kind of the gleefully kind of triggering like gleefully gleefully pushing on people's nerves Mm -hmm. that i i also feel kind of i mean that i do feel kind of bad i mean i do feel bad about um also like there was one episode if it's on thrones that i am i mean genuinely genuinely unabashedly ashamed of the entire the whole the whole episode the context of the episode the reason for the episode the whole the whole endeavor was like just so sophomoric and so adolescent it was i mean not not i'm sorry i'm not just talking about infants on thrones in general it was the yeah. infants on thrones episode they had about swearing <laughs> we were like oh what's the best what's the best customer that you like do you like poo poo face or heart mouth <laughs> And like we were just talking about, like, oh, I love the word fuck and shit and bullshit. I'm like, oh my god! Like, I think about that. I'm. I don't want to go back and listen to it. I don't want to. Like, I just. There's nothing. I mean, there's no aspect of. You said ass. Like, there's no dignity. <laughs> like, there's no dignity. You know, in a bunch of twenty, uh, like. You know, we were in your 20s. We were in our 30s and 40s. <laughs> yeah, 20s, 30s, 40s. You know, adults. Yeah. Adult men, like, adult talking infants. about their favorite cuss words. Yeah. It's like, oh, my gosh. That's, it's, that's some really, like, 13-year-old stuff. Yeah. So I am no asterisk, no qualifying phrase ashamed of that one. Um. <laughs> But, I mean, I don't know. Like, in terms of my views on God, I'm actually surprised that it didn't really change. Yeah. Um, I mean, because you'd think that it would. I mean, you like, I'd honestly think that it never really even occurred to me as even, like, an avenue of thought. Mm-hmm. Like I never even really thought about like contemplated the idea of like, you know, maybe there's a reason for all of this other than like statistical improbability. <laughs> so I is mean, that is that your p- position? Statistical improbability? Yeah, like I'm just I mean if if anything, it has completely reinforced the idea of like that life is just a sequence of random events in some of which are improbable, but like that is the nature of improbable events is that they don't really happen very often. And they have like a very improbable event happened to happen to me. Mm -hmm. And that's, and that's what it is. Like, it's a very kind of nice, I mean, in a lot of ways, like, I just found more comfort in that idea hmm. that there was no, I, w- I hadn't been spitten. I hadn't been chosen. I had just been unlucky simultaneously, unlucky and lucky just in quick succession. Yeah. It was like, I, you know, got my hand cut off and fell down the pit, but right. then I fell into a tube and like, I ended up on the millennium Falcon and you know, it's like, what are the odds? You yeah. know? So you so you you're saying you believe in the force, but you I don't believe I, in God. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. 
I mean, I suppose. I suppose <laughs> that's that is a interpretation of it. How how did I I I remember some kind of story about when when you were still in recovery and you had different family members that were flying out to be with you. And you, you also had this outpouring of love from like the ex-Mormon community with the GoFundMe page and like the messages that they were writing you during that time that some of your family members looked at that and it kind of changed the way that they thought of you or what your role had been or even like ex-Mormons in general. Am I remembering that right? Right. Yes. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That was uh, especially true with uh, my brother, Joel. So like he... So based on, on his, um, I mean, he read through this when I was in at Duke. So like, I obviously had no memory of him like reading through these things, but he, um, Re reading through the comments on the GoFundMe. Reading through the comments of the, yeah. the, like the, the, um, GoFundMe page and that kind of thing is, uh, well, first of all, I want to say that like all of anybody who like reached there were so many people that were so generous with their resources and like you know contributing money to the gofundme thing to like the whole gofundme project and like this um just the outpouring of like love and not only just love like you know like material support um as a result of that whole of this this whole experience has been you know just so completely overwhelming and i want to thank everybody that you know i appreciated the thoughts and and people reaching out to me and the affection because like i will i will say that <clears throat> that really does have value even if it's not necessarily like material value like not you know objective value or something but subjectively like it's very valuable to like have people reach out and you know express their support in that that matters and that has like i appreciate that more now than i did before yeah just the, the intangible value of like support and friendship and community yeah um let me just add to that jay because my, my sense of you it, it, and i think it still is this way in in some degree but i want to get your your feedback that you're really uncomfortable when people express appreciation for you like admiration for you it because you don't want it to go to your head you don't ever want to be like cocky about stuff you want to you want to be humble you don't want to go into to hubris and so it's kind of hard for you to accept when people are are putting praise on you it, it, am i reading that right yeah yeah i mean i i do i do certainly feel uncomfortable with like people especially like people saying you know that they admire xyz you know xyz thing that i did yeah. to my face it's just like that i don't know what to do with that like mm -hmm. i don't know what because i don't i mean the only way i don't know what to do with it other than like either absorb it and become like this pompous asshole or not absorb it or like find some way to deflect it which makes it seem like i'm not 
I don't like genuinely appreciate what they just said. And I do, yeah. you know, I really do enjoy. I mean, I, I love that people liked what that people, you know, loved value and like loved brother Jake and like, Carl, the I casual love. Satanist. Yeah. Just like all of those fun little quirky things that you'd bring. Like, and I love that people enjoyed it because I love doing it too. Yeah. And so like, I got to do a, a good thing. I got to do a thing that I liked and you got to like it too. Yeah. So like now we both are having fun with this thing. Yeah. Like you're having fun watching and listening to this thing. I had fun making it. And it's just like, we're having a good time together. And yeah. like, that's really what I should say. <laughs> that's what I should say. That's actually a pretty good thing to say. I had a great time making it. That was so much fun. I'm yeah. so glad you liked it. Yeah. Because I loved making it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, um, so I, I, I kind of derailed yeah. you because we were talking about Joel's reaction to those comments. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 So yeah, I kind of wanted to take like an aside just to, yeah. just to say like, first of all, like I am so grateful for like the outpouring of love and support and, um, and, resources that came my way um i also want to say that like we ended up like not needing a lot of the money that people that people sent us because the you know the recovery was very miraculous and very um you know it was very unexpected and very positive so um what what we ended up doing with it is we donated it like one we donated the extra money that we got from the gofundme we donated it part part of it to the duke hospital cardiological um association mm -hmm. part of it to the shepherd center and then part of it to um shoot i forget the name of the of the uh group but basically it's like a, an economic restoration group yeah. but we we so you paid um, it forward i mean <laughs> the economic restoration stuff was really just the placate our guilt for like so many one-use plastic shit that we had <laughs> to because like i like on my own you know i am accountable for just hundreds of milligrams of microplastics <laughs> in the ocean today yeah. And, uh, um, I do feel bad about that, but you know, I'm sorry about, it. um, but, uh, yeah. So we ended up like donating the, the extra funds that we got, like the, the funds that we got beyond our needs to those three, three different organizations to kind of pay forward. But, um, yeah. So my brother, Joel, who, um, is i mean he's a really funny guy he is a really really funny guy and he wrote a bunch of the carrying bridge updates um and they were fantastic i mean it's a really really great sense of humor and like we get along really well um and but he really didn't like brother jake i mean he just really did not appreciate the snarkiness and like he thought you know it, it was just taking pot shots at at something that he held sacred and yeah. it was just something where like he took it personally in kind of the worst ways that that um 
one that I mean the way that you really hope that they don't take it that's the way he took it so mm-hmm. it was something where um and I you know was disappointed when that happened because like I really wanted him to like I really wanted him to appreciate the humor of it and yeah. kind of see the art behind you know what I was doing and but um and you know appreciate that aspect of it but I mean ultimately he felt more offended by it than yeah. than uh than enamored by you know the cleverness of it um so i yeah so i always was disappointed by by the fact that like he didn't really take it very well and it kind of bummed me out i was like uh well i mean and we didn't really talk about it because you know it was something where i was like well i mean what are you going to talk about yeah let's talk about other things we have plenty of other things we can talk about and you know bond over and it'll be fine um but he ended up like his his mentality around the brother jake persona and like that the brother jake persona and like the endeavor to like upload these videos and animate this stuff and and kind of create these narratives and whatever like do this doing this creative stuff um creative stuff that showed how stupid a lot of these really sacred things were yeah 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 it's true (laughs) but he he saw he kind of see the he could the sincerity in the appreciation from the ex-modern community kind of showed him that like people really did feel materially like that I had done something to alleviate some of the angst that they may have yeah. and some of the tension, the inner turmoil that they, they may be going through. And he may disagree with the reasons for the turmoil or like the interpretation of that stuff. But, you know, you couldn't deny that people were sincerely grateful to me for giving voice to some aspect of their experience. Yeah. Um, and seeing that sincerity at my most vulnerable and their generosity when I was vulnerable really helped in kind of cementing the fact that like, no, this isn't like, yes, this does seem like there's a certain aspect of this is just like basic jackassery, (laughs) but there's more, but there's more, beneath like there is a very there is a kind and sincere core underneath that yeah that is he's really speaking to and that i mean it that's sincere and and you know should be appreciated so well i'm glad he i'm glad he was able to see that you know the i i without having experienced cardiac arrest and the recovery that you have i also look back on some infants episodes with (laughs) regret <laughs> you know and and like not n- not really proud of uh promoting a certain way of viewing people as being stupid or ridiculous but like i i understand i think the way that i see it i'm not gonna say this is how it is i'm just gonna say this is how i see it that when when there are certain ideas that are so core to your identity and you're just so enmeshed with these things that in order to gain some kind of liberation from them, having humor, 
sarcasm, like sarcasm literally means ripping the flesh off of something. <laughs> That's the Greek word for sarcasm. I mean, you, you are extracting this entity from your soul, metaphorically speaking, um, of Mormonism and the hold that it has on who you are. And you're like, no, I want to be an individual. I don't want to be so entangled with this. And that I, I see what you did with Brother Jake, what we've done with Infants on Thrones as being a way of allowing humor to create distance, like a, uh, uh, an emotional distance from something that was really close. And if somebody doesn't want to have that distance, it's very threatening. You don't, you don't appreciate it. You just see it as jackassery and just like making fun of sacred things. But for the people who found it liberating and it, it really is like a healing balm kind of thing to, to take this thing out and be able to laugh at it and go, Oh, I don't have to take this thing so seriously anymore. My, I'm, I'm not going to hell. I, I'm, I'm not going to have, you know, like my, the eternity is spent in outer darkness while everybody else progresses to the highest degree of the celestial care, whatever these things are, you can kind of laugh at, laugh at that. And um, anyway, I, I, I don't know. I don't know yeah. that he would ever see it that way, but yeah, I do. Um, who knows? Like, I, 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 I do you I see really it that way, or do you not? Is that just me? This is just my way of seeing things, or what do you? No, think? I, I, I totally. I mean, I think that you articulated perfectly, like yeah. the value that, um, like, what I was trying to do in the course of Brother Jake, what I was trying to do in my in the course of Infants on Thrones was like create that create that space, you know, and extract, you know, kind of deconstruct Mormonism from deconstruct, like the intermingled aspects of Mormonism from myself. Yeah. So like, you know, and like, as I, as I, you know, broke it out, like, you know, whatever. Um, so I, I totally agree with that assessment of it. Um, I would say that, um, yeah. I also just, I just had like a random, I mean, it's not like random memory, but it's, it, <clears throat> this is another kind of bittersweet kind of memory around infants was the conference episodes, which I felt like were so great. Oh, geez. And, and I feel like they were, they were really fun. They were, I mean, they were a ton of fun to make, ton of fun, like write and perform but like ultimately it's just like so freaking mean no <laughs> no, no no the one that you did uh about the two women together and how yeah. that works i simply cannot fathom or whatever it was you yeah, said right, right. Was... yes right <clears throat> my dear brothers and sisters it was my great privilege recently to attend a gathering of religious leaders about marriage and family. There were representatives from many different faiths that attended, but I was amazed by how much we, a group of high-ranking leaders of conservative religions, happened to agree about how traditional, traditional marriage should be. Witnessing this was a marvelous work and a wonder. In talking about traditional marriage, you may wonder about which aspect of traditional marriage we decided to focus on. In other words, what makes traditional marriage traditional? Is it the tradition to marry for love rather than the earlier non-traditional tradition of marrying for political or economic reasons? 
Or is it the tradition of promising lifelong fidelity to one another? Or is it the tradition of pledging to share one's life with another through thick and thin and support one's children or dependents? Well, no. While all those things are good, those things aren't the things that make a marriage traditional. No, the key element of marriage is something shown in the story of the first two humans ever, Adam and Eve, whom our dear Elder Holland, who is not a dodo and went to a pretty good school, has already told us were definitely literally real people and definitely fell from a really real Garden of Eden, despite how empirically improbable that may sound. You see, what makes a traditional marriage so traditional is the physical anatomy of the people in it, namely the number of penises and vaginas. As God's mouthpiece on earth, it is our solemn duty to affirm that a traditional marriage contains one penis and one vagina. Well, except for very special occasions when the Lord has seen fit to allow marriages to have one penis and more than one vagina, as he did with Abraham and the early saints, but this only happens in extreme circumstances. However, in these troubled times, there are those who argue that a marriage can have two penises, or, I'm told, two vaginas with no penis at all, which baffles me to no end. But in that religious summit we attended, we bore powerful testimony that traditional marriage must have one, but sometimes more, vaginas, and one, and only one, penis. You may wonder why we have decided to reduce the definition of traditional marriage to this one simplistic feature, since the thing that makes a marriage and family so influential in people's lives isn't so much the anatomy of the adherents, but the network of unconditional love, support, and inclusion that it provides. Indeed, you might think that if we were truly concerned with promoting the benefits of marriage and family, we would embrace all forms of marriage as traditional, so long as it meets the criteria of consent, love, and fidelity that we expect. But we must stand against such perversions of traditional marriage. In the face of this argument, we declare to the world that the balance of penises and vaginas in any given marriage is sanctioned by God and cannot be changed. And anyone whose arrangement eschews this balance can only attain a counterfeit of the emotional and sociological benefits of marriage and family. Those who fight against this holy balance have powerful tools in the media and the internet to make it seem like there are a lot of them. However, I am pleased to say that these people who argue for the acceptance of marriages with too many penises or not enough penises are actually in the minority. And by pointing that out, I am implying that their opinions are, for some reason, less important. Now, that may seem like a strange position to take, since the minority status of our own members was exploited for persecution less than 200 years ago. But we should all remember that mob rule really isn't so bad if you're part of the mob. Now, since such a diverse crowd of conservative religious leaders were able to reach such a consensus about the correct number of penises and vaginas in a traditional marriage, you may wonder, what makes us so special? How can I hold on to that sense of superiority and one true churchedness that I've grown to rely on? But don't worry. 
even though these good people can recognize real traditional marriage, they still don't have the eternal families like us. Yes, rest assured that through our holy temples, we don't have to be separated from our families in heaven. And sure, that might seem like solving a problem we created in the first place, since most Christians believe they'll be with their families in heaven anyway. But we can take comfort in the fact that our penile and vaginally balanced marriages will last into the eternities, while theirs dissolve with death. In the name of heteronormativity, amen. Powerful, powerful. Powerful. Oh, I mean, Jake. But that was a, that was, I mean, the thing How, is, it was, I, I don't feel like bad necessarily about it because they're so freaking good, but also like, kind of feel bad about it. No. And, and for, to your credit, man, when, whenever there was a good conference talk, like you were the first one to go, Hey, let me put this guy up on my shoulders and say, I really appreciate it. Like, there's nothing I can make fun of this one. And I don't remember. It was some guy from oh, Europe. Right, that, yeah, yeah. Right. And and you did that a couple of times with things. You're like, I gotta, I'm gonna give them their due when when I can give them their due. And that was that was part of your own growing and maturing process too, Jake Frost. Yeah, that's true. We didn't just uh, <laughs> pick the low hanging fruit necessarily to like. Started off as infants, and we best. ended off as infants. <laughs> yeah, it's true. We were embryos on thrones Gross, the embryos. back then. Yeah. <laughs> No, we're infants. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I would say, I mean, I, I, like looking forward to the future. Well, I don't know. You didn't really ask about that. So. Hey, what, 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 what does the future hold for Jake Frost? I don't know, but okay. <laughs> I am not, I mean, I kind of feel like, um, I mean, I, I'm, you know, being in that kind of fourth stage of recovery of like the long tail end of the recovering, the recovery arc yeah. is, um, it's, it's difficult. I mean, it, it just feels like, I don't know. It kind of feels like the end of Castaway, you know, where like Tom Hanks comes back and like he like struggles to like build this boat and he loses Wilson and, you know, he survives out in the water for a long time. And then like eventually is, you know, it's, and then like it's eventually picked up by a fishing boat or something. And like he, anyway, so like at the end of, Castaway. Um, <clears throat> he's just kind of sitting in his apartment, and you know he's like he picks up the lighter and just like lights it. You know, it's kind of marveling at and like flips on light switches and stuff, just marveling at the convenience of like everyday life. You know that he took for granted, yeah. and now uh, he took for granted at one point in his life, and like now has a newfound appreciation for, and then. At the end, he, you know, drives back with this, with the package and delivers it. And then he just kind of drives off down the road. I mean, he just, he just kind of wanders. I mean, it, it actually, I'm just, I'm, the all the movie references are coming back to me now. But, um, 
It's it's kind of like the end of Lord of the Rings, you know. Like, <laughs> Frodo goes back to the Shire. He's like, "Wow, I'm so glad we saved the Shire." You know, good. We're back to where we started. And then, then he's like, "Well, what else I can do?" Like, I'm just kind of looking for my, you know, what is he? He goes out west of the sea. He goes westward into the sea or something, yeah. and like sails with the elves. Like, I'm yeah. looking for my boat westward. And like trying to figure out, like now, I feel like it, being in that long tail end of recovery, it's kind of like, okay, I, you know, I, I did, I did a thing. I, I accomplished a Herculean, yeah, like difficult, like a task that seemed almost impossible to pull off, and like. I've, I mean, I, I didn't do it by myself, you know, but I, uh, I've now gone through that, all of those things. And like, I'm kind of back to the point where like things are as much back to normal as they can be for me in 2020, you know, in the middle of a pandemic, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> right. I mean, whatever, what are you going to do? Um, so like at this point, I'm like, crap, like, okay, great. I, like my goal this entire time was just like, I want to get back to normal. I want to get back to working, you know, being able to like work full time and, you know, have like, be able to like have gainful employment and operate autonomously as an individual and, you know, go, go on about my life. Okay. So like now I'm at that stage now, and I'm like, like now, now what, you know, <laughs> like, where's like, what, what happens now? And I don't really know what that is, but the thing is, I do feel, I mean, it's probably not unlike, there are probably a whole lot of like 32 year old guys out there that feel the same way I do that just got like that. There's probably a whole bunch of like 32 year old guys that are and maybe at least one 48 year old guy yeah we're <laughs> just like middle-aged guys right like middle-aged guys yeah. all feel this way where they you know they just want to get to the point i just want to get through school and get a and get a job in this new career or yeah. get a new job in in x new xyz new thing i just want to get to that i want to get the training and then get get a job and work in that job and it's like great you're gonna i mean and you're gonna do it you're gonna accomplish all of your goals you're gonna accomplish all of the all of your dreams you know around that career change or whatever but then you're not dead yet you know so it's <laughs> so, now what so it's now like what? now what now what um, now yeah, now you um so i'm i mean i'm kind of in the now what stage where like i feel a little bit like I, I guess there's, there are certain things that like I have a casual interest in, like maybe I can dive into that a little bit more, like develop a new hobby or some shit like that. I don't know. Like, uh, I don't know. I, I honestly have no idea. And I, I am happy to be, I mean, I am happy to be, you know, on the other side of Mordor and I'm, I'm happy to be, 
like having, I mean, I'm happy to be in this, in this situation. Um, but like, I'm, I'm, I'm really happy that I'm not having to struggle with like going to the bathroom on my own anymore yeah. or struggle with walking down the street anymore or struggle with being able to drive to the grocery store or anything anymore. But I still, you know, I'm feeling the same kind of existential angst that everyone else is mm. like uh, plenty of other middle-aged people are feeling. Yeah. So I, I mean, I guess there's, there's some comfort and like, there's plenty of us. <laughs> there's dozens of us. Yeah. Dozens. But what, so what are, what are the things now that you live for? that you just like enjoy and love? Um, enjoy and love. I mean, I mean, I do. I love um, creating like little Jesse Grams. I love creating those jesse grams and like coming up with fun games with jesse and then like turning that into like an audiovisual memoir of us doing that thing where do you do Jesse? because i i don't see those anymore are you still you're making jesse grams yeah like i've been doing so i i'm now i'm pivoting toward did you not see the one where um we were it, doing like ultimate wrestling uh, no is it is it because you're not really doing stuff on facebook much anymore right is it like instagram yeah, it's all on Instagram. Okay, now. I don't do Instagram, so that's why I'm missing you. Well, I mean, I can, I can. You don't have to do that. Just I, I can send you the uh, videos. I'd love to see them. Yeah. yeah. So, like, there are a few videos that I've made since then. Where, like, now what Jesse's doing, and it's a ton of fun. Is and is he four? He's three. He's three, He's three and a half. Three and a half. Yeah. Um. So I'm doing uh something where he is so. I'll have him watch a movie or retell like a common kind of bedtime story. Yeah. You know, like the story of the three little pigs. Then yeah. hidden, a big bad wolf knocked at the door said, let me come in, let me come in. Not by the hair of my tiny chin. Then I will huff and puff and blow your house and... <gasps> Could, but he couldn't. Um, and then I'll animate, like I'll animate him retelling that story back to me, like and, Brother Jake style. And I mean, animated yeah. that way. Yeah, yeah, animated that way. Yeah. Um. So, uh, and it's fun. It's really fun yeah. to like see the way that he perceives, you know, like how he attaches. And like latches on to different characters and movies and like yeah. different characters and stories and stuff. Oh so, my gosh, what a, that's so, I, I would love to have stuff like that from me when I was three and a half. Like I've got, I've got one tape of me when I was two with my mom. Three little pigs. A mad little pig. Yeah. A mad little pig. Then the bear will come and get him. Come and get him? Did he get him? Uh-huh. <laughs> Did he bite them? Yeah. What did he say when he knocked on the door? A little pig, little pig, let me come in. No, 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 
and I really don't help them. What song did they sing? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. So, like, that, those are fun. Like, creating audiovisual stuff is really, like, that, I don't know, that's my... I enjoy, I enjoy doing that. Yeah. Um, so that's a good that's a good time. I I like doing that. It's fun. Um, I like uh, playing video games. Which yeah. I mean, the thing is, it's it. Whatever. I'm I'm beyond being ashamed of playing video games. Ashamed of va- playing good. video. Well, I am I am ashamed of playing video games. <laughs> I'm not gonna deny it. I just do it, and it's fun, and I like. I like doing it. I mean, this is a good time. Yeah. Do you do do you do like VR stuff or what what are your video games? VR stuff is fun. It's just I don't have like I've never I haven't, you know, invested money in like a VR mm. kit, you know, for cuz the first time I ever did VR was from you. The, when we were down in Mexico and you had like that that thing that you put on your eye, oh, you know, yeah, right, right. like you're in the solar system, <laughs> yeah, and you could like go to the different planets and stuff. That was awesome. That's a fun hobby, but it's not like creative. Yeah. And I always, I always feel guilty doing it because there's always guilt around. I don't know. I just feel guilty around be about like not. It's doing a thing that like isn't creating anything that for some reason that makes you feel guilty i don't know so why why don't you create like a near-death experience and you can like totally make it up and write a book about an nde and like meeting god and writing on the back of a butterfly and make just a shit ton of money doing that well i mean the thing is you have to believe that i mean you don't have to believe it you just have to portray belief in that thing all the time mm. wait are, so are, like are you, you saying that a story like that cannot be faked it can be faked. you just have to be committed okay like <laughs> you have to be committed a hundred percent to like i'm gonna hang out with these boring ass people that like think this shit actually happened like you don't just get to be rich you have to like get to be rich by you have to become rich by going to a bunch of shitty conferences mm. you know <laughs> like so that would be like, fun to you speaking speaking at like a, a convention or something of a bunch of religious assholes and then like say and then be like well i saw and then i saw jesus and like i don't know it's just the thing is it can be done and if i really wanted to make money i would totally do that i just there's no amount of money. There is no amount of money that is worth that shit. Yeah. So I just, I, that was, that was my way of uh, like asking you, do you get annoyed when people ask you if you had a near death experience? And and I think we just got the answer without me having to ask it that way. <laughs> I mean, I get, no, I didn't really have a near death experience. I had a post death experience. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Like it didn't, the thing is that's what that's what's crazy about cardiac rest is it is you just die that's it you don't like like you don't it's not like your heart is racing and then you start things start to fade and then you have this hallucinate you know hallucinatory experience and and 
you know, fade out or something. It's just like, I don't remember. There was nothing. I, I remember that, that, um, Thanksgiving. I remember the night before. I remember the night before. And then I woke up like six weeks later and I couldn't walk. Yeah. I was like, get me out of this bed. You know, it was, so, so like you so didn't confused. really have, yeah, you didn't have any context for when you went to bed and when you woke up, you didn't realize that like a, a month, was it was a month and a half basically. Yeah. That, yeah. It was, it was like six. I mean, the thing is it's, and, and when I woke back up, like that's not to say like I woke back up all at once. Basically what happens was my brain swelled so much because it was totally shut off from oxygen. Yeah. So like, it swelled so much that like it wasn't making any memories for six weeks. Um, And then it started making memories, but like a little, like as the swelling gradually went down, it started to make memories slowly, slowly, slowly. But basically I didn't have like a waking up moment where I was like, where am I? It was just like everything. I mean, it was like being reborn, you know, like a, a, a baby is not like, I mean, they are kind of like that, but they don't have any context that they can react to, you know, like an infant when they're first born, they're looking surprised when they look around and like, as they start to speak, you know, it's, they don't really know what's going on, but they're kind of catching up or that they're kind of cluing in to like what's going on a little bit. It's, it's something where, it, it's very much like my experience was well this is all from like secondhand like people telling me about it yeah my experience wasn't like i didn't have like a moment where i woke up and like i had any concept any kind of notion of who i was and like what had happened or anything like that it just kind of like details about like what happened and who I was like kind of flowed in slowly. So you kind of like gradually came online. Yeah. And, right. And you really can't remember back at this point, any distinct time where you're like, okay, I'm back. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. It wasn't like a, it wasn't like a turning the on switch back on. Yeah. It was just, it was like slowly powering back up. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Wow. I mean, it's, it is a wild experience. I mean, just speaking about it now, it's just, is so bizarre. Do you get tired so... of talking about it to people? Um, cause I've held back. Really? I've, I've, I've held back. I haven't wanted to put, like, I've, I wanted to have you on like four months after this happened. I'm like, you know, I like, think that would have been a little soon. Like yeah. I, I, I <laughs> So the reason that would have been soon is because four months afterward, it would have been, um, very much in the cloud of like self doubt. Mm. And, you know, in, in just, I, I don't think I would have had any fun doing it four months yeah. ago just because yeah. I would have been like, you know, second guessing myself the whole time and like double thinking everything and, and, hesitating about like oh did i slur this word or that word mm. or like i could never get out of my own head mm. enough to like actually persist for like be part of this conversation mm. 
Um, but I feel like now, I mean, I, I, I feel a little more loose, Yeah, you know, in terms of being able to kind of loosen up a little bit. So, yeah. um, well, I enjoyed it. All right. So I'm going to wrap this one up and any final words for infants listeners. Um, any final words for infants listeners? I didn't mean to put you on well, the spot. <laughs> well, yeah, I know. I'm sorry. I should say like, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't want to like respond with levity, but also like, why, well, you know what? I'm just going to respond with sincerity because that's the way I feel. Like I just, I appreciate all of the affection and support that I got both money wise and also like in morale all of that stuff mattered to me and I appreciate all of it. And I don't, and I feel really bad if I didn't like respond to an email or something. Um, there were a lot of like emails and texts that I got in the shepherd center that I really just didn't have the capacity to deal with at the time. And they certainly have like fallen through the cracks and I am so sorry about that. But I do appreciate all of the outpouring of affection and support, both material and otherwise. It all matters to me and I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Put down the weapons that you use against yourself. You don't need them anymore. Lay down the weapons that you use against the world. We don't need another war. Put down the weapons that you use against yourself. You Hi, this is Hillary. Matthew, Ryan, Carol, Keith. Dashley, and I like to play bingo online while listening to Infants on Thrones. You can comment on this episode on the website, infantsonthrones.com. And if you really like what you hear, give the quorum a five-star rating and write a short review on iTunes. I did. I did. I did. Anyone for the closing prayer? My worst crime is an inside job. Dark thoughts taking over like an inside mob. I tune into the scene between the eyes and take a breath. Thank you for listening to Infants on Front. I sit still and watch the thoughts float past me. Never mind the future, never mind what the past be. I like to jump and let the universe catch me. Three, four, watch the beauty blow past me. I keep my pockets like destination in sight. My actions elevated to compassionate heights. I'm walking past the fight, laying down on such a night. Choosing love when I pick up this mic. This is Infants on Thrones. Mini Sound. Welcome back to Infants on Thrones. I'm Glenn Ostland, and I'm going to share with you a blog that I wrote uh, back in October 2010. If you search for it, you can find it on the Mormon Expression uh, blog site. This was an experience that I actually had in a priesthood elders quorum. Every once in a while, there is a lesson where they have to be very serious about the terrible problem of pornography. This was probably one of the most entertaining lessons that I ever sat in, and so I wrote a blog about it, and I want to share it with you today. So that's what we're going to do. Hang on. I've been around the world, I've seen a lot of things that make your chicken curl. 
Warning, this post contains illicit language and disturbing images, but nothing that hasn't been taught in at least one Elder Scorn lesson on pornography. Continue at your own discretion. Several years ago, I had the Elder's Quorum lesson of a lifetime. Our instructor was a convert of about three years, and he was in the military. Now, I tell you this so that you'll understand why he thought that the shock and awe approach was the best one to take. He also hadn't been fully acculturated into the Mormon culture to understand the subtle and not-so-subtle nuances of what is and is not appropriate to say out loud, or perhaps to even think quietly and keep inside your own head. So, for the sake of everyone's edification, and as a sort of Infants on Thrones public service announcement, I would like to humbly share with you today some recommendations on what is and is not an appropriate way to teach about this filthy and disgusting cancer on society within the hallowed and sometimes annoyingly fuzzy walls of a Mormon meeting house. Appropriate. In today's day and age with the internet, pornography is more pervasive than ever. It is a filthy and disgusting cancer on society. Not appropriate. The internet is a real son of a bitch. If you want to look something up, all you have to do is Google 15-year-old girls covered in semen, and boom, there it is. Appropriate. Viewing pornography can lead to self-abuse. Imagine that you all have a little factory. Not appropriate. Alright, come on guys. Now, don't think for a moment that if you're sitting alone at night looking at porn, that you aren't also doing something else. Come on, you all know what I'm talking about. Insert explicit hand gesture here. Appropriate. Oh, okay, perhaps it is alright to use a reverent hand gesture, but only if the gesture is brief and understated and ends within the count of two Mississippi. Not appropriate. But it's not okay if the hand gesture goes on for 30 seconds or longer while you eyeball each and every elder in the room and accompany it with facial expressions or sounds of any kind. (laughs) Appropriate. So come on, brethren, this is a serious topic and far more common than you might think. What do you all think about this? Not appropriate. All right, Brother Oslin, you're sitting there in the back snickering with your arms crossed. You know crossing your arms is an indication of guilt, right? So spill it. Appropriate. Many people have serious problems with pornography. It can ruin relationships and destroy marriages. Not appropriate. You all know that Richard and his wife are divorcing, right? Well, now you know why. Appropriate. Pornographic images and masturbation can severely disrupt the intimacy that binds you and your wife together for time and all eternity. Not appropriate. So, you know, when you're choking the chicken all the time, you can actually get to a point where you lose feeling in your penis. Now, this actually happened to me with my first wife, and I could never explain to her why it had happened. I tried to hide it from her, but she could tell there was something wrong. And when I went to the doctor, he said there wasn't anything he could do about it. I had just looked at so much porn and had jerked off so much that I lost all the feeling in my penis. And trust me, elders, you don't ever want to lose the feeling in your penis. So I hope you all appreciate this IOT PSA. And if you ever do 
encounter a lesson like this. Also, don't approach your friends afterwards and say, Hey, guys, we totally need to debrief. So in conclusion, I want to say thank you to this former Elders Quorum instructor for delivering probably the most shocking, entertaining, and memorable Elders Quorum lesson ever. It even beats the Fandango hand puppets lesson from the guy who didn't really prepare any message at all. And finally, after listening to this, I dare any of you listeners to try and get through Barry Manilow's trying to get that feeling again without thinking about this guy's dilemma and snickering. Doctor, my woman is coming back home late today. Go ahead, give it a shot. Could you maybe give me something? If you can do that, you're a bigger person than I am. Because the feeling is gone and I must get it back right away. And delete your browser history too. How about we just skip to the end? You and me both, buddy. Uh-huh. You go get it, Barry. Yeah. Yeah. Get it. Get it, back. Well, they do say it's an addiction. This is Ashley from North Yorkshire, England, and I have finished my final year of a psychology degree in London. So watch out, infants. A psychologist is listening. You can comment on this episode on the website, infantsonthrones.com. And if you really like what you hear, give the quorum a five-star rating and write a short review on iTunes. Anyone for the closing prayer? Thank you for listening to Infants on Thrones.